Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. FTSE Russell has published its Global Asset Owner Sustainability Survey for 2021. Not surprising in this fifth annual edition is the rapidly rising trajectory of responsible and ESG investment among asset owners. ESG asset allocation reached $35 trillion in 2020. And according to Bloomberg Intelligence, it's expected to grow to $50 trillion by 2025. Today, I've asked Tony Campos, head of sustainable investment for the Americas at FTSE Russell, to join us and shed some light on the several differences in the rationale for ESG and responsible investing across three major global regions identified in the FTSE Russell study. That's the U.S., the EU, and the Asia-Pacific. Hello, Tony, and welcome back to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Hi, Paul. Great to be back. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be speaking again after this recent uh, survey. And the last time we discussed ESG and responsible investing was back in August of 2019. So in addition to dramatic growth in assets under management since then, tell us what's different about ESG and responsible investing today from your perspective. The 2021 survey was really fascinating and showed, I think, sort of two uh, key takeaways to begin with. Uh, the first, I think, is is a story around sort of regional discrepancies and North America really catching up to where um, adoption and practice in, in Europe uh, has been historically. So globally, we see around uh, 80% uh, of the asset owners we surveyed um, already uh, implementing or evaluating sustainability into their portfolios. That is a rise from from the the, the previous study. But what's different is now we see North America uh, at about uh, uh, 68% of North American respondents indicating their um, uh, practice in line with um, global standards. So whereas North America used to be around 40% uh, of respondents either um, implementing or evaluating now around nearly 70% from North American respondents, nearly in line with European peers. So that's so that's the big first takeaway is kind of a um, you know a, a established kind of baseline of global practice and adoption. The second, I think, is is uh, looking at sustainable investment as a risk-led exercise. Um, one thing that's really important, especially in the history of uh, you know responsible investing, uh, ESG and sustainable investing, all these terms and um, phrases we've used over the years is, you know, kind of what's the main motivating factor? What we see here from the survey is almost two-thirds of the asset owners uh, that responded say mitigating long-term risk is the key factor. That's what's motivating their decisions, and that's, you know, reflected across the regions globally. So the fact that sustainable investing is becoming uh, firmly embedded as a risk-led exercise. Terrific. Now, Tony, I read, and I know we all read a lot uh, about how the differences in public policy and regulatory infrastructure are unfolding uh, around the globe. Uh, but what about asset owner investment allocation by sector and by industry? How are those differing in different regions? One thing is common across the globe, which is that um, you know equity tends to be the dominant 
um, uh, uh, allocation and, and, and sort of area of practice for sustainable investment. And that's partly because, um, you know, uh, uh, the data um, uh, that supports some of those decisions, particularly around uh, corporate ESG practices, is, is sort of most established and evolved, although hopefully we'll get a chance to come back to the question around data and evolution in that space. Uh, but about half, about maybe 46%, I believe the number was, of asset owners surveyed said that that, that they are implementing sustainability within their public equity pers- uh, uh, portfolios. Um, that's globally. Now, in, in, in EMEA, interestingly, that number was about 70%. So again, we see some regional discrepancies and 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 EMEA a little bit further ahead. Um, but what I think is new and relevant here is the you know increase in sort of what else is happening in other um, segments of of uh, these global portfolios. Um, and perhaps as we might expect, fixed income is 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 kind of next up in terms of uh, where investor attention is being focused. So over a third of the respondents say that they're, you know, looking at sustainability considerations within their fixed income portfolios. But there we do see a little bit more of a regional discrepancy sort of below that global figure, um, you know, all the way from about 50% of our EMEA-based respondents um, uh, looking at fixed income um, and as low as 20% in North America, um, Asia Pacific's right in the middle at, at, at 40%. Um, and when we dig a, li- a little bit further, there's just maybe two other points I would I would add around this question of asset allocation and and kind of regional variation. One is within fixed income, it's a clear preference and focus on uh, corporate credit. Um, that's that's absolutely where you know the bulk of the activity lies. Um, uh, for you know about nine in ten of those uh, focused on fixed income uh, in sustainable investment, focused on corporate credit, and about half in sovereigns. Um, and beyond that, when we think beyond equities and fixed income, uh, clear, uh, clearly higher appetite in Asia for um, private equity and infrastructure investment uh, relative to Europe and North America. Yes, I was uh, I was going to bring that up. How what the differences are in public and private, and you're you're saying that it's there's a, the growth and perhaps even the overall market in Asia is more privately focused. Is that correct? Yeah, well, there's a higher uh, level of of appetite for sustainable investment in alternatives in Asia relative to Europe and North America, according to the survey. Um, now, what's driving that, you know, is a is sort of a motivation question um, that 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 the survey didn't necessarily address specifically for that uh, uh, question. However, based on you know anecdotal conversations and our engagement with clients in the region, we know that there's a real uh, search for yield and return. Uh, in the region that is driving a lot of investment activity, particularly sustainable investment. So that probably has something to do with it. Okay. Okay. Now you mentioned the data, the data issues a moment ago. Um, are there regional differences and priorities on the sustainability issues that investors are focusing on? Absolutely. And this was another very interesting result from the survey. Uh, the first thing to say around um, issues of focus is that climate change is clearly the most um, uh, prevalent issue for the global um, asset owner community that we surveyed. Uh, however, uh, when we when we dig a little bit deeper into sort of uh, the regional preferences, um, we noticed that in North America, 
there was a, a slightly higher percentage of respondents interested in social issues. Um, uh, now, climate change was right behind, but but they were both very high respondents, and and certainly um, the area of of sort of social interest is one that, from a regional perspective, if we think back to when this survey was happening, um, you know, not only during the COVID pandemic, but also during um, you know, the Black Lives Matters protests in the wake of the George Floyd killing, um, we think had had something to do with a lot of attention and interest uh, from from the Southern community responding to the survey, looking at, uh, you know, kind of the S in ESG um, alongside climate change from that investment risk perspective. And we think, you know, there's a direct link there to uh, questions around data and how to implement some of those strategies where I think in the climate realm, uh, there's um, uh, a larger and longer history of quantitative data, and in the social realm, uh, still a little bit harder to get some of that information from the corporates uh, with regards to their practices and activities. And hopefully, we'll start to see that change. So, I think what I hear you saying is that because the climate data is 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 longer in tooth, if you will. We've been getting it for longer, and it's it's been pretty specific, for it, especially in recent years, as to what's driving that. That these social issues are now uh, taking a more prominent place, coming out of the COVID the COVID nineteen pandemic, in terms of what investors want to learn about as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. And I think this is an area where there was clear kind of unity in the responses that we that we saw from the survey. So we did ask about data and kind of these areas of interest and barriers really to, to, to action and implementation. Um, uh, so, you know, clear that lack of standardization in ESG data and ratings was the most commonly cited barrier um, to increase sustainable investment adoption. Um, and from the, from the perspective of uh, focusing on social issues in particular, over half of the respondents said that they would prioritize social themes more if the data were reliable and widely available. Um, so we'd expect as the quality and availability improves uh, and pressure to disclose more from companies becomes more common, you know, that this would start to be reflected, um, you know, in terms of the actual uh, uh, implementation and investment strategies that follow. Okay, good. Now, Tony, of course, our podcast audience is always keen to hear about how these differences that we're discussing today affect investment performance. What can you tell us today about the regional differences in, for example, FTSE Russell ESG index performance? So I think in order to answer the question, we have to link back to uh, and one of my initial comments around risk management driving a key um, uh, uh, sort of motivation for a lot of these asset owners. And when you think of it through that lens, performance takes on a slightly different um, characteristic. In a lot of cases, uh, performance in that sense doesn't necessarily mean uh, outperformance or excess return. It means you know making sure that you maintain a certain market-like exposure uh, while improving certain ESG or sustainability outcomes. Um, and what we've seen through our FTSE, FTSE Russell indexes is performance that can, uh, depending on the strategy, uh, deliver that beta-like market return with improved ESG uh, characteristics, or in, in certain thematic products or certain regions, deliver outperformance as well. As we know all too well, there's no one way to do sustainable investment. Uh, there's a lot of different preferences um, uh, depending on uh, the asset class, the region, uh, or the client segment that we're that we're dealing with. 
but from a performance perspective, it's clear that either outperformance or uh, benchmark-like returns uh, with minimal tracking error, minimal risk, but improved ESG characteristics are all possible. Okay. Now, Tony, I know that since we've started following all of this data over the years, first when I was an advisor and now as a consultant, um, there have been some um, distinguishing characteristics to uh, how much risk U.S. investors especially are willing to take when it, when it comes to investing outside of our um, regional markets. Is it still the case that in Asia Pacific, for example, uh, the perceived risks are higher even within the ESG marketplace uh, and than they are in the U.S. and, and in Europe? Uh, or has that shift been underway in, in some direction that I'm not aware of today? I do still think Asia and North America, um, you know, in particular, have to deal with sort of this perception of increased risk or performance penalties in order to adopt sustainable investment strategies. I think in EMEA, we're sort of largely past that conversation and moving on to a question of how um, rather than a why. Um, and, and, and I do think the survey responses reflect that from the asset owner community that we, that we engaged with here. Um, but what's certainly clear as well is that, you know, as more and more, um, uh, uh strategies demonstrate a track record, like some of the indexes that we track on the FTSE and Russell, uh, index universes, you can show, uh, as I was saying, sort of either increased performance, um, depending on, you know, which strategies or sectors you're looking at, but also, you know, for those large asset owners that want to reallocate capital from traditional um, indexes and traditional passive portfolios to sustainable investment strategies, you can do that with minimal risk um, within certain boundaries related to things like tracking error, industry active share, um, through reweighting schemes and mechanisms that are fully transparent and rules-based, baked into the index methodology, but that also targets specific ESG improvements and outcomes. We're doing a lot of that work, um, you know, with some of our largest asset owner clients in Asia, in EMEA, um, and in North America. And really, what's driving that is again that 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 idea of ESG integration and risk mitigation uh, as a main motivation. So, in practice, what that means for our work with indexes is making sure that the outcome. Um, still behaves like the traditional benchmark. Um, the risk and return profile is within sort of or close to the underlying index, but we have demonstrable and robust ESG criteria coming out as well. Thanks, Tony. And, you know, when we first started our conversation today, you mentioned climate change and climate risk uh, as one of the prime motivators for for participation in the in the survey and uh, high high percentages of concern and and focus on that let's talk a little bit more about the those levels of concern with the investment impact of climate risk across different regions of the globe we're seeing a lot more physical climate issues um, develop, uh, especially during specific times of the year and in particular places. Um, how are, is that being reflected through the investor survey? So right now, what we're seeing with the survey, as I said, was very much uh, a focus on climate as, as the main issue globally. Um, now, when I sort of pivot off of the survey and think to the work that we do with clients at FTSE Russell, particularly in the asset owner space related to climate risk, um, what we're seeing is 
the fact that the data isn't perfect and disclosure can still be improved is not a barrier to action in all cases. We're seeing a lot of activity among asset owners that are engaging with policymakers and engaging with boardrooms around climate risk are also taking action within their portfolios. What that often means is a reallocation of existing um, assets, sort of a transition, if you will, from um, you know, traditional core equity exposure via an index, traditionally a market cap weighted index, um, uh, which often uh, for large asset owners is a big part of their overall public market allocation um, and re-engineering those indexes to reflect certain climate risk characteristics, whether that's um, carbon emissions, stranded uh, asset exposure like um, uh, oil, gas, and coal reserve ownership, um, or understanding sort of management quality or temperature alignment scenarios, we can build all of those into the way an index is calculated. So you can re-engineer slightly, um, you know, at a at a security level um, over underweighting decisions that, uh, again, conform to a broad risk return profile similar to the underlying index, uh, but with climate risk mitigation uh, alongside that. Okay, well, Tony, we've talked about a number of aspects of the survey today, uh, and I'd love to cover more of it, but is there anything that you think was really important about the results that we should be letting our listeners know about for follow-up with you and FTSE Russell? Well, thanks, Paul. It's really been great. And I think um, uh, the one thing I would point to, uh, again, is to is to see sort of where this asset class um, uh, discussion, which we had earlier around equities and fixed income and starting to get into alternatives. Where does that go from here? I think, you know, we're at a place of, you know, kind of a baseline of accepted practice and standards for equities. We're starting to see that in fixed income. And that does account for a large portion of most asset owner portfolios. But, you know, in, in the kind of environment we're, 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 we're in globally, we're seeing more and more asset owners searching for yield, searching for higher return. That does mean going into alternatives in other areas where, the data barriers become a little bit higher from an ESG perspective. So um, will that be a bit of a drag on action or will uh, investors move ahead, but without looking at ESG, we'll have to see what the next round of the survey shows us. Terrific. Well, Tony, as I mentioned, we're, we're out of time for today's conversation. Uh, please tell our listeners how they can contact you and where online they can learn more about FTSE Russell's Global Asset Owner Sustainability Survey for 2021. And by the way, before you answer, I just uh, want to let you know that we'll be glad to attach that survey to the program uh, in the Sustainable Finance Podcast channel so uh, all of our listeners can take their time and read through the whole thing when they have, when they have the opportunity. So how can folks get in touch with you and FTSE Russell? Well, that's that's great. Thanks for doing that. I, I I hope your listeners do take the time to read the survey. It's very interesting. You can certainly contact um, myself and find our our information um, at FTSE Russell and and through LinkedIn. Um, I know our social account for FTSE Russell and for London Stock Exchange Group posts regularly on sustainable investments. So do keep an eye out for those, including on the survey and other uh, investment insights or research that we publish. Great, Tony. Thanks again. We appreciate your time today as the head of the sustainable investment for the Americas at FTSE Russell. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Mm -hmm.